Hey, Ishers, it's Jamie. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish, which is brought to you by BetterHelp, Modern Fertility, Zola, and Feels. You might notice that I sound a little bit different in this episode. I recently upgraded my recording equipment, so hopefully you notice a change for the better. Thanks so much to my friend Tyler from the Minds of Madness podcast for helping me decide what to buy. Speaking of my friend Tyler, I'll be sharing a table with him again this year at CrimeCon. If you're planning to attend CrimeCon, make sure to use promo code MADNESS2020 for 10% off a standard badge. That's promo code MADNESS2020. I really hope to see some of you there. I'm so excited to say that I'm about to make my first donation to the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. I'm donating a portion of the proceeds that I receive from Patreon supporters. Speaking of Patreon, I want to thank Noelle R., Melissa S., Allison C., who's the host of True Crime Snack Time, Denny R., and Brandy D. for becoming my latest Patreon supporters. Lastly, please stick around at the very end of this episode to hear promos for two great podcasts that I think you should check out. One of the podcasts is called True Crime Snack Time, and the other is called Southern Gothic. Now, let's get into today's case. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. This case takes us to Esto, located in Holmes County, Florida. Esto, which is in the middle of the Florida panhandle, is only two miles away from the Florida-Alabama border. It's a very small, quiet town where residents say nothing much goes on there. The population in Esto is less than 500 people. In the summer of 2007, a 911 call came in to the Esto Fire Department. The caller reported that the young girl had drowned in a pool and she wasn't responsive. At first, everyone assumed this was a terrible accident, but the tides soon turned and someone would be charged with murder. Join me as I walk you through the case of Adriana Hutto. August 8th of 2007 was an exceedingly hot day in Esto, Florida. Temperatures exceeded 100 degrees that day. At 2.29 in the afternoon, the Esto Fire Department received a 911 call. The caller said that her daughter had drowned in the pool. Volunteer Fire Chief Charles Corcoran and Volunteer Firefighter Jose Martinez quickly responded to the call. When Corcoran and Martinez arrived at the modest home, they observed a woman kneeling over a young girl as she performed mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. The young girl was identified as 7-year-old Adriana Hutto. The woman providing mouth-to-mouth when emergency staff arrived was her mother, 27-year-old Amanda Lewis. Additional medical personnel quickly arrived on scene and began rendering aid to Adriana. It seemed to be working at one point as they felt a pulse. Adriana was airlifted to Bay Medical Center in Panama City, Florida. Upon arriving at the medical center, the young girl was quickly taken to the emergency room, where medical staff worked to save her. 
but their attempts were futile. After an hour of trying to save her, they were unable to get a pulse, and at 5.05 p.m., Adriana Hutto was pronounced dead by ER doctor Linda Fox. Born September 16, 1999, Adriana Elaine Hutto had light skin, dark brown hair, with straight-cut bangs, and a gummy smile. The young girl was described as happy, outgoing, and hyper, and someone who loved attention. At the time of her death, Adriana was one month shy of her eighth birthday. She'd been living in Esto, Florida with her mother, 27-year-old Amanda Lewis, her younger brother, AJ, her mother's boyfriend, Alan Carnley, and Carnley's son, Alan Michael Carnley. Carnley worked in the meat department at a grocery store and as a volunteer firefighter and EMT with Esto Fire Department. He was divorced and had two children from his previous marriage. Diagnosed with ADHD, Adriana struggled with her behavior both at home and at school. To help with her ADHD, Adriana was prescribed Concerta, which has the same active ingredient as Ritalin. Six weeks prior to her death, Adriana stopped taking Concerta and began taking Focalin, which really made an improvement in her behavior, according to her mother. During the summer of 2007, Carnley bought an above-ground inflatable pool for the kids. The pool was four feet tall and was only accessible by using an aluminum A-shaped ladder that came with the pool. To get into the pool, you'd walk up one side of the ladder and then down the other side which was inside of the pool. For safety, Carnley and Amanda kept the ladder locked inside of a shed to which only they had a key. Adriana and her younger brother AJ, six years old at the time, were instructed by Carnley and Amanda to never go near the pool unless they were accompanied by an adult. Even with strict safety rules, Adriana would drown in the pool that her mother's boyfriend bought for the family. After Adriana was airlifted to Bay Medical Center, an investigator named Michael Rayleigh asked Amanda to come to the station to answer some questions. Amanda agreed, and once she arrived at the sheriff's station, Sergeant Rayleigh and his partner, Major Hamilton, allowed Amanda to provide her account of what happened. According to Amanda, she arrived home the morning of the incident, not long after 8 a.m., after her night shift ended at Bonifay Nursing Home. When she arrived home that morning, Amanda said that Adriana and AJ were watching cartoons, and Carnley's 14-year-old son, Alan Michael, was asleep in his bedroom. According to Amanda, she had planned to take all of the kids into town to go school shopping that day, but she wanted to take a nap first. According to Amanda, she slept until about noon or 1 p.m. When she woke up, she said the kids told her they wanted to play outside. Amanda said she told the kids they could play in the front yard for a while. Shortly after she allowed them to go outside, she observed Adriana and AJ playing with some of his trucks in the front yard. After that, Amanda told investigators that she took a shower, got dressed, did some laundry, and then walked over to the front door to check on the kids. At this time, according to Amanda, she saw AJ but not Adriana. She said AJ was climbing in a trash can they always kept parked under a tree in the front yard. AJ would later call it the garbage can tree. 
Amanda asked her son where Adriana was, and he told her she was playing by the pool, which couldn't be seen from the front door or the front yard. At that time, Amanda said she told AJ to tell his sister to come inside because they were going to be leaving soon. Then, Amanda said she walked over to a sliding glass door where she could see into the backyard, where AJ said his sister was. Amanda said she opened the sliding glass door, saw AJ standing inside of his red wagon right by the pool, which was against the rules. Amanda still didn't see Adriana anywhere. As AJ leaned against the pool, standing inside of his wagon, she said she saw AJ with a foot tray in his hand and she said he was raking in the pool for something. Amanda asked AJ what he was doing, at which time AJ told his mom that Adriana was upside down in the pool, meaning that she was face down. Amanda said she then ran out to the pool, leaned on the side of the pool, and was able to grab Adriana by her foot. Amanda said she pulled her daughter out of the pool and that she was unconscious. Amanda said she immediately began giving Adriana mouth-to-mouth and soon after, she called 911. Amanda said she instructed AJ to go inside and get her boyfriend's 14-year-old son, Alan Michael. When Alan Michael came outside, she told him to take AJ with him and go inside of the house away from the traumatic scene. When investigators questioned Amanda regarding her account of what happened, they wanted to know why Adriana would have been trying to get bugs out of the pool if she really wanted to go school shopping. Amanda told investigators that she forgot to give Adriana her ADHD medication that morning, and that may have caused her to become indecisive, as would often happen when she went without her medication. Amanda also said to investigators that her daughter had never gone into the pool without permission prior to this incident. When asked whether Adriana was afraid of the water, Amanda told them that her daughter enjoyed being in the pool, but was fearful of putting her head underwater. When Adriana was in the pool, according to Amanda, the young girl would stay toward the side or use her brother's floaties. She told investigators that Adriana knew how to keep herself afloat in the water, but wasn't a strong swimmer by any means. Amanda said that she had been attempting to teach her daughter how to swim, but Adriana even had trouble laying down in the bathtub. After she had given her statement, investigators began going back through her story. Amanda repeated basically the same story at this time, but a few of the details had changed. Amanda told investigators the second time around that AJ and Adriana were sitting on a blow-up tent when she arrived home, not the couch, as she had said originally. She also said she watched TV in her room for a while before taking a nap. She hadn't initially mentioned the TV part to investigators. Amanda was asked about the kids' behavior that morning, and Amanda told them it was good. She said neither AJ nor Adriana had been disciplined for anything that morning. After running through Amanda's story a second time, investigators circled back around and asked a few more follow-up questions. At this time, Amanda told investigators that she saw AJ running toward the pool and then saw him jump onto his red wagon. If this statement was true, It meant that Adriana had been the one who put the wagon near the pool. If Adriana put the wagon by the pool, she may have put it there in order to get bugs out of the pool, which would be in line with what Amanda was telling investigators. Toward the end of her interrogation, 
Amanda confirmed again that Adriana had never tried to get into the pool by herself before, and this was the first time that she had tried to get bugs out of the pool by herself. On the day of the incident, Amanda's stepfather, Charles Burns, came to the house to pick up six-year-old AJ and take him back to his house, where he lived with Amanda's mother, Brenda Burns. At some point after AJ arrived at his grandparents' house, Charles Burns placed a call to the sheriff's department and delivered some shocking information that would turn many people's lives upside down. On the call, Burns told sheriffs that AJ told him that his mom had drowned Adriana. There is so much pressure and stress that comes along with everyday life, and that stress can interfere with our happiness. It can be very helpful to seek counseling when these issues arise, but meeting with someone on their schedule and at their location isn't always convenient. That's where BetterHelp Online Counseling comes in. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, relationships, trauma, LGBTQ matters, and more. And of course, anything you share is completely confidential. BetterHelp is unique in that they make counseling services convenient by offering counseling online through video chat, and you can chat with your counselor via text message too. If you aren't happy with your counselor for any reason, simply request a new one at any time at no charge. Not only can you receive counseling from the convenience of your own home, BetterHelp services will not break the bank. Murderish listeners can get an extra discount by going to betterhelp.com slash murderish and entering promo code murderish. That's betterhelp.com slash murderish and use promo code murderish for 10% off your first month. Sergeant Rayleigh and Major Hamilton questioned AJ about what happened to his sister. Given the young boy's statements about his mother, investigators began digging deeper and conducted a search of Amanda's home about a week after Adriana died. Interviews were conducted with Bay Medical Center staff, first responders, people at the medical examiner's office, Amanda's family, a child protection team employee who met with AJ after his sister died, and a therapist who had spoken with AJ. On September 5th, a month after Adriana died, Amanda Lewis was arrested and charged with murdering her daughter. In early 1999, Amanda Lewis was scheduled to report to the Army National Guard. Upon discovering that she was pregnant, Amanda was granted leave from the military in order to have her baby. Amanda gave birth to a baby girl on September 16th of 1999, whom she named Adriana. Six months after giving birth to Adriana, Amanda left home to attend boot camp. Baby Adriana was left in the care of Amanda's mother, Brenda Burns, while Amanda attended boot camp. About two to three months into her service in the Army, Amanda was sent home with a leg injury. She was eventually discharged from the Army due to her injury, and she and Adriana continued living with her mother, Brenda. In November of 2000, Amanda gave birth to a son, Andrew Jordan Hutto, whom everyone called AJ. AJ was Adriana's half-brother. Amanda, a single mother, eventually moved her family in with her boyfriend, Alan Carnley, who had kids of his own. Amanda supported her family by working night shifts as a certified nursing assistant at a nursing home in Bonifay, Florida. 
Carnley worked day shift so an adult was home with the kids at most times. On February 19th of 2008, about five months after Adriana died, 28-year-old Amanda Lewis went on trial for murder in Holmes County, Florida, with Circuit Court Judge Alan Register presiding. In his opening statement, Assistant State's Attorney Larry Basford told the jury that seven-year-old Adriana Hutto had a fear of water and that she had been diagnosed with and took medication for ADHD. He said that not long before Adriana died, both she and her brother AJ had been disciplined for not picking up their toys. Their punishment, according to Basford, was to have all of their toys taken away and thrown into the trash. Basford said the day her daughter died, Amanda had instructed Adriana to clean bugs out of the pool. He said that Adriana didn't want to do it, and she argued with her mom about it. Instead of cleaning bugs out of the pool, Basford told the jury that seven-year-old Adriana left the house and went to a park about a quarter mile away from her house. Basford said that Amanda got into her car and picked her daughter up from the park, at which time the two of them continued arguing. When they arrived home, according to Basford, Amanda began dunking Adriana's head into the inflatable pool. According to Basford, Amanda continued dunking her daughter's head into the pool and covered her mouth with her hand to keep her daughter from screaming. This is when, according to Basford, Adriana drowned. Basford said Amanda then went back inside of the house and placed a call to her live-in boyfriend, Alan Carnley. At the same time, Basford said that Amanda told AJ to go get his sister, and this is when AJ told his mom that Adriana is upside down in the pool. Basford told the jury that Amanda then got her daughter out of the pool and called 911. Basford said that AJ's step-grandfather, Charles Burns, arrived shortly after the incident and picked AJ up. While they were driving back to Charles and Brenda Burns' house, according to Basford, AJ told his grandfather that his mom had drowned his sister. Basford said that in addition to being in trouble for not cleaning bugs out of the pool, as she was instructed to do by her mother, Adriana was also in trouble for spraying glass cleaner inside the house. The claim that Adriana sprayed glass cleaner and got into trouble for it originated from her brother, AJ, as he had made this statement to investigators when they brought him in for an interview. Adriana's autopsy was conducted by Dr. Charles Siebert, the chief medical examiner for District 14 at the time. Siebert, who testified regarding Adriana's autopsy findings in front of a grand jury, never had the opportunity to testify during Amanda's murder trial. By the time Amanda's trial began, Dr. Siebert had been terminated and lost his license to practice due to incidents that occurred during a different case on which he'd been working. After Dr. Siebert's termination by the Florida Medical Examiner's Commission, Dr. Andrea Minyard was named Interim Chief Medical Examiner for District 14. Dr. Minyard had not attended Adriana Hutto's autopsy, and as such, she was only able to read from Dr. Siebert's autopsy report during Amanda's trial. On the witness stand, Dr. Minyard indicated that Dr. Siebert had concluded that Adriana suffered five significant injuries which included contusions or bruises and abrasions or scrapes on her face, small petechial hemorrhaging, which are small dots in the eyes, abrasions to her lower lip, 
contusions on her chest and lower legs, and a small abrasion on the vaginal opening. Dr. Siebert found that Adriana's death was caused by drowning and that her death was a homicide. Dr. Siebert's conclusion that Adriana's death was a homicide was based on the presence of petechial hemorrhaging in her eyes, which he believed could not happen as a result of an accidental drowning. The prosecution had only just begun to unfold their case for the jury. They had yet to call their star witness to the stand. After telling his grandfather that his sister had been drowned by his mother, Adriana's six-year-old brother, AJ, was interviewed by investigators, and his statement was videotaped. A portion of the videotaped interview was played in court during Amanda's trial. In his interview, young AJ told Rayleigh in Hamilton that his mother was mad at Adriana because she sprayed something that smelled good inside the house. He said his mother responded by throwing Adriana in the pool and then told her daughter to go somewhere. AJ said that his mother had to get into the car to get Adriana, who had left the house. He said that when his mother picked Adriana up, his sister tried to escape, but his mother pulled her back into the car. AJ said that when they got back home, his mother threw Adriana back into the pool, used her hand to cover Adriana's mouth, and then dunked her in the pool and drowned her. In the portion of video that was played in court, according to Court TV, AJ said to Rayleigh and Hamilton, My sister, she dragged me and sprayed something that smelled good, and she'd done stuff that she didn't supposed to, so my mama got mad at her, so she threw her in the pool. So then she told her to go somewhere, and she said no, cause mama gonna dunk her again. And then mama had to go in the car to go get Adriana, and then Adriana was trying to escape from mama and then Mama pulled her back in the car. And then once they got back home, Mama throw her back in the pool, and then she started drowning again, that's all. In the video, AJ put his hand over his mouth to demonstrate what his mother was supposedly doing to his sister while she was dunking her in the pool. AJ said his mother did this so she wouldn't scream. Rayleigh asked AJ what happened next, and AJ said, Adriana started screaming. Mama took her hand off Adriana's face. When asked where his mother and Adriana were when this happened, AJ said, at the pool. AJ was asked why his mother had her hand over Adriana's mouth. AJ replied, because she was dunking. Amanda Lewis was represented at trial by Deputy Public Defender Walter Brooks Smith, a veteran attorney who'd spent 19 years in the Public Defender's office. In his opening statement, Smith claimed that the prosecution took AJ's statements and formed a complicated theory of what happened the day Adriana died, but in reality, Smith claimed, what happened that day was much more simple than the prosecution claimed. Smith told the jury that Adriana and AJ simply went outside to play and Amanda kept an eye on them as she got ready to take them school shopping. Smith said that Adriana put AJ's red wagon next to the pool so she could get bugs out of the water. Amanda said to investigators that she saw AJ run to the pool and get on top of the red wagon, which was already set up next to the pool. Smith told the jury that Adriana reached too far into the pool and fell in. According to Smith, 
Amanda was on the phone with her boyfriend, Alan Carnley, when AJ came inside and told his mother that Adriana was in the pool. And this is when Amanda went outside and pulled her daughter out of the pool. Smith also told the jury that Adriana did not have a fear of water, as the prosecution claimed. He said she just didn't like putting her head under the water, as Amanda had told investigators. Smith told the jury that the prosecution's case strongly hinged on the statements A.J. made to investigators, but, Smith said, A.J.'s statements were not consistent and therefore could not be relied upon. The defense pointed out that in one version of A.J.'s story, he told investigators that his mother threw Adriana in the pool, but Adriana got out and walked away. He said his mother went and got Adriana and threw her back into the pool and drowned her. In another version, A.J. said his mother asked him to bring her the car keys so she could pick Adriana up. Smith also pointed out that in all of A.J.'s statements, the one consistent fact is that A.J. never actually saw his mother drowned Adriana. He only claims to have heard Adriana screaming. Smith said that A.J. was in a tree at the time when Adriana was supposedly drowned in the pool. Smith said that the pool cannot be seen from the location where the tree is, making it impossible for A.J. to have witnessed the drowning. Smith also pointed out that although A.J. had told investigators that he was in the tree when his sister was drowned, he also told them in another version that he was standing on the front steps when his sister was drowned. Smith pointed out that the pool is not visible from either location. Smith also addressed the autopsy findings. Smith said that although the medical examiner testified that all of the bruises on Adriana's body appeared to have occurred at the same time, the bruises were different colors. Due to the bruises being different colors, Smith said that emergency medical staff indicated that the bruises appeared to have occurred at different times. The autopsy report indicated that Adriana had a bruise on the back of her head, which was consistent with being pushed against a concrete surface. Smith pointed out that AJ said his mother pushed Adriana's head underwater, not against a hard surface. Smith said that if Amanda pushed Adriana's head underwater, as AJ claimed, this would not cause an injury that would bruise the back of her daughter's head. Smith then dove into the medical examiner's findings regarding petechial hemorrhaging in Adriana's eyes. Petechial hemorrhaging in someone's eyes appear in the form of small dots on the eyeball. This type of hemorrhaging is commonly found in someone who has been asphyxiated but petechial hemorrhaging can also be present after someone vomits. Smith pointed out that as EMTs performed CPR on Adriana, the young girl vomited. Although the medical examiner said that petechial hemorrhaging cannot happen due to drowning, Smith said that studies have shown that petechial hemorrhaging can occur from drowning, although it is uncommon. Smith wrapped up by saying that although the prosecution was claiming that petechial hemorrhaging pointed to Adriana's death being a homicide, that was not accurate. Smith said that petechial hemorrhaging can be caused by violent coughing, vomiting, and potentially drowning, and as such, Adriana's death should not be ruled a homicide due to the presence of petechial hemorrhaging. Prosecutor Larry Basford called A.J. Hutto to the stand to testify. On direct exam, 
Basford asked A.J. to tell him what happened the day his sister died, and A.J. began by repeating his initial statement. He said that his mother got upset with Adriana for spraying something in the house. At some point, however, young A.J. began giving answers that weren't consistent with statements he had made previously. A.J. told Basford that he and his sister had not gone outside to play the day his sister died. When asked if he could tell the court how his sister died, A.J. said he couldn't. Basford showed A.J. a picture he had drawn for Lynette Hornsby, a therapist who met with A.J. after his sister died. At the time, Hornsby had asked A.J. to draw a picture of a time when he was scared. And that's when A.J. drew a picture of the pool with toys surrounding it. The picture showed his mom next to the pool and his sister inside of the pool. With the picture on display in court, Basford asked A.J. to identify the person standing next to the pool, and A.J. said it was his mom. When asked what she was doing in the picture, A.J. replied, killing my sister. Basford asked A.J. how she was killing his sister, and A.J. said, putting her hand over her face. Basford then asked A.J. if he could demonstrate how his mother put her hand over his sister's face, but A.J. wouldn't do it. When asked if he saw his mother kill his sister, A.J. replied, no, sir. Basford asked A.J. whether he had said yes or no. A.J. replied, yes, sir. Basford asked A.J. where he was standing when his sister was killed, and A.J. said he was in the garbage can tree. Basford asked A.J. if he had stayed in the tree or if he had moved. A.J. pointed to the side of the house, indicating that he had moved to the side of the house after being in the tree. This was the first time A.J. claimed to be standing near the side of the house while his sister was killed. From the side of the house, the pool was visible. From the tree and the front steps, two locations A.J. had claimed to be in previously, the pool was not visible. When asked what his mother did after Adriana died, A.J. told Basford he couldn't remember. If you're planning to have children now or in the future, you may want to listen to this. Modern Fertility offers an at-home fertility hormone test that is affordable and so easy to use. The kit costs hundreds of dollars less than traditional tests at your doctor's office, and it's as simple as a quick finger prick than sending your test back in the prepaid envelope. 10 days later, Modern Fertility will send you a detailed report showing you how many eggs you have, your hormone levels, and potential reproductive red flags that you need to be aware of. With Modern Fertility, you can also speak one-on-one with a fertility nurse to get all of your questions answered. I love that Modern Fertility has come up with a way to get insight into whether you're ready to have children without even having to go to the doctor's office and at a fraction of the price. I recently received my Modern Fertility Kit and I am really looking forward to getting insight on my hormone levels. My husband and I aren't planning on having more children, but dang, I wish I had known about Modern Fertility when we had our kids. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering murderish listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com murderish. That means your test will cost $139 instead of hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. 
Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash murderish. That's modernfertility.com slash murderish. So many people battle chronic pain, have trouble sleeping, and experience anxiety, myself included. I recently discovered a more natural way to help with these issues. Feels is a premium CBD oil that I'm really excited about. While Feels CBD does not get you high, it does help to reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. My husband is the hardest working person I know. His wheels are constantly spinning. It's hard for him to turn his mind off at night and he has trouble sleeping. He's taken sleeping aids before, but oftentimes he wakes up feeling groggy. We recently ordered Feels CBD and my husband is really looking forward to using it to treat his sleeplessness. I love that Feels CBD is so easy to use. You just put a few drops under your tongue and then feel it begin to work in just minutes. If you're a CBD rookie like me, Feels offers a free hotline and text message support system where you can get answers to all of your CBD questions from a live person. Another great thing about Feels CBD is there's no high, hangover, or addiction. If you're ready to try a more natural approach to treating pain, anxiety, stress, or sleeplessness, join the Feels membership program to get top-notch CBD delivered right to your doorstep each month. Pause or cancel your subscription anytime. I can't wait to get my first order of Feels so my husband can start getting better sleep. Become a Feels member today by going to feels.com slash murderish and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash murderish to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash murderish. Walter Smith cross-examined AJ and his testimony continued to be inconsistent with previous statements he had made. On the stand, Smith asked AJ about what happened that day, and AJ said Adriana had not left the house that morning. Previously, however, AJ had said that Adriana left the house and his mother left in the car to pick her up. AJ also said on the stand that his mother drowned Adriana twice and that she was standing next to Adriana while she stood on the red wagon and then fell into the pool. Young AJ had a hard time remembering many of the statements he made to investigators. Smith asked AJ about a few of his initial statements, and several times, AJ told Smith he didn't remember saying those things. The prosecution called some of the first responders to testify, although it seemed their statements may have helped the defense's case. One of the first responders said that when he arrived on scene, he remembers thinking that Adriana had been standing on the red wagon and then fell into the pool. He also testified that Amanda Lewis was distraught when he arrived. Another first responder who took over performing CPR on Adriana when he arrived testified that Amanda was extremely upset while he was on scene. Another first responder testified that he could not recall whether the red wagon was next to the pool when he arrived. However, when he was shown a copy of the written statement he'd made shortly after Adriana's death, he could see that he had written on the statement that he had seen the red wagon next to the pool and that there was dirt in the wagon and it appeared to be wet inside. Dr. Linda Fox, the ER doctor who had pronounced Adriana's death at 5.05 p.m., said on the stand that when she informed Amanda of her daughter's death, her demeanor was odd. 
Dr. Fox said on the stand that Amanda's behavior struck me odd because it was almost calming to me to look into her eyes and she didn't really have much of a reaction and it just was very flat. Dr. Fox went on to say about Amanda's reaction to the news, I almost, I remember it distinctly because I was thinking it was better that she didn't. Fox never finished the statement. Andrea Minyard, Chief Medical Examiner for District 1 and Interim Chief Medical Examiner for District 14, testified about Dr. Siebert's findings since he had lost his license to practice sometime after Adriana's death. Minyard testified that according to Siebert's report, there were two major areas of bruising on the back of Adriana's head. She said one of the bruises could have occurred after an accidental fall, but not both. She explained this by saying that you can't fall on two areas at once. Minyard said that the bruises on Adriana's forehead appeared to be consistent with her head being pushed forward into something. She said the bruises on the back of her head did not look consistent with being pushed forward into something. Minyard said that Dr. Siebert wrote in his report that the bruises on Adriana's forehead could have been caused by someone pressing on her forehead with great force. Dr. Minyard testified that the petechial hemorrhaging found in Adriana's eyes could have been caused by coughing violently, CPR, vomiting, or suffocation. Due to the multiple ways in which petechial hemorrhaging can occur, she couldn't say whether the hemorrhaging was significant to the case. Regarding the abrasions found on Adriana's lower lip, Dr. Minyard testified that she believed these were likely caused by the intubation tube which was placed in her mouth in an effort to get Adriana to breathe. Dr. Minyard said she did not believe the contusions found on Adriana's chest and lower legs were significant, and she believed that they seemed normal for a child of Adriana's age. Dr. Minyard said that the small abrasion found on Adriana's vaginal opening would typically be considered a red flag, except that there were several attempts made to insert a catheter into Adriana, and this could be what caused the abrasion. Dr. Minyard concluded her testimony by saying that she agreed with Dr. Siebert's opinion that Adriana's manner of death was homicide and the cause of death was drowning. Dr. Minyard said she based her opinion on the bruises not being properly explained by Amanda Lewis or emergency personnel. She said she believed that the injuries found on Adriana must have come from a struggle. She further stated that due to there being a credible witness to say how Adriana ended up in the pool, referring to AJ, that this also helped her to come to the conclusion that Adriana's death was a homicide. Minyard said that based on the witness, the basis of the investigation, and the autopsy findings, she agrees that the manner of death was homicide. Basford asked Minyard if she would come to the same conclusion without AJ's testimony, and she said yes, based on the unexplained injuries because based on her experience, Minyard said unexplained injuries mean that a violent struggle took place. The prosecution called some of Amanda's co-workers to the stand to testify. Kimberly Smith, who worked with Amanda, said that Amanda brought Adriana and AJ in to work with her on one particular day. Smith said that Amanda was very angry with Adriana, 
who was walking behind her mom and crying. Smith said that Amanda made a comment about her daughter that day, saying she was going to kill her. Smith said she took Adriana, who was crying, to a separate room to try to calm her down. Smith said a nurse took Amanda to a different room to speak with her about the incident. Apparently, Adriana had colored all over her mother's car the day that Amanda came in to work with her. Smith told the jury that Amanda said she didn't love her daughter like she should, and she didn't know how. Amanda's supervisor, Takesha Dossie, testified that she took Amanda into a different room the day that she brought Adriana in to work with her. Dossie said the two of them talked things over for a few minutes, and then they said a prayer together. Dossie said that on a different day, Amanda told her that she hadn't formed a bond with Adriana and that she wasn't sure why she didn't love her. Amanda's mother, Brenda Burns, was also called to testify. Burns said that Amanda had thrown away the kids' toys because she had told them numerous times to pick them up, and they hadn't listened. Burns said that most of the toys Amanda discarded were toys that she and her husband, Charles, had given to the kids as Christmas gifts. When investigators searched Amanda's house, toys were not found in Adriana and AJ's bedroom. The prosecution made a big deal about this and claimed that the children were neglected. The absence of toys, along with a strong stench of urine in the children's bedroom, didn't exactly paint Amanda as a great mother. That said, Adriana was a constant bedwetter, and Amanda would later say that this was the reason the bedroom she shared with her brother smelled like urine. Brenda Burns was asked about her daughter's demeanor at the house the day that Adriana died. Burns described Amanda as stunned that day. She further said that her daughter's reaction at the hospital after learning that Adriana was dead was kind of cold, and she described her as being numb. Amanda's live-in boyfriend, Alan Carnley, was called to the stand. Carnley was combative with Basford at times, saying he never claimed that Adriana was in trouble a lot just prior to her death. Basford put Carnley's written statement in front of him to help him recall what he initially said, but Carnley said he just didn't remember making that statement. Carnley said that the spray bottle incident didn't happen the day that Adriana died, as AJ had claimed. He said it happened two weeks prior to her death and that it was a bottle of air freshener, not glass cleaner. When asked about typical punishments, Carnley said that the kids would be sent to their room for a timeout, and occasionally they would get a spanking. Regarding their toys being taken away, Carnley said that not all of their toys were taken, and not all of them were thrown away. He said the damaged toys were thrown out, and all of the rest of the toys were sent to his father's house where they were stored in a closet. He said the kids' toys were taken away several days prior to Adriana's death. Carnley said he didn't think Adriana was afraid of water. He'd seen her playing in his sister's pool, in a creek, and while they were on vacation at Waterworld. Carnley also said he didn't recall seeing any bruises on Adriana's body the night before she died. Carnley said that he was at work the day Adriana died, and that he received a call from Amanda around 2.20 that day. Phone records showed that the call came in at 2.30. During the call, Carnley said Amanda told him that she and the kids were going into town to do some school shopping that day. 
Carnley said that AJ came inside and said something to his mom while she and Carnley were on the phone, but he couldn't make out what AJ said. Carnley said he could tell that Amanda stepped outside at that point because he heard her walking down the steps. Carnley said that Amanda then told him that Adriana was in the pool. Carnley also said he had never observed Adriana trying to clean bugs out of the pool prior to the day she died. He further said that he didn't think it was strange that Adriana may have been playing by the pool the day she died, as he'd seen her playing with the footpan before. The footpan was found floating in the pool the day that Adriana died. Carnley told Basford that Amanda had been trying to teach Adriana how to swim and that she'd been making good progress practicing in Carnley's sister's pool. Addressing a previous statement that was made regarding Amanda dunking Adriana in Carnley's sister's pool, Carnley said he had never witnessed Amanda doing that to her daughter. Carnley said that he and Amanda almost always kept the pool covered, but when he'd put chlorine in it, he needed to keep the cover off for a few days. Otherwise, he said, the chlorine would cause oil from the pool cover to drip into the pool. Carnley confirmed that a few days before Adriana died, he had put chlorine into the pool, which was likely the reason the cover was off the day she died. Alan Carnley's son, Alan Michael Carnley, was also called to testify. On the stand, Alan Michael said that he was taking a shower when AJ came inside and told him that Adriana was dead. When Alan Michael walked outside, he said he observed Amanda performing mouth-to-mouth on Adriana. When asked about AJ's statement that Amanda left in the car to pick Adriana up from the park, Alan Michael said he didn't hear a car start up or leave the house the morning that Adriana died. Alan Michael said that Adriana had previously played in a nearby creek, in his aunt's pool, and in the water at Waterworld, which countered the prosecution's statement that Adriana was afraid of water. That said, Alan Michael's sister, Amber Carnley, also testified, but her statement seemed to indicate that Adriana was afraid of the water. On the stand, Amber said she had seen Adriana in her aunt's pool on one occasion and said she looked afraid as she clung to the pool ladder. Amber further said that Amanda was trying to teach Adriana how to swim, but Adriana would cry during these sessions. She said Amanda was trying to teach Adriana how to float on her back and told her daughter that she'd dunk her if she didn't stop crying. Are you planning on getting hitched? If so, then let me tell you about Zola. Zola has every tool you need to take a lot of stress out of planning a wedding so you don't turn into Bridezilla. Here's how it works. Easily create your wedding website with Zola to give your guests one place to go for all of your wedding info. This is where you can include disclosures like, hey, leave the kiddos at home for this event. On your customized wedding website, guests can also shop the registry you created. The registry is really cool because you can ask for experiences, honeymoon money, and or gifts. With Zola, you can also create save the date and wedding invites. They have tons of beautiful options and you can customize your paper with your own photos. Zola will even address your envelopes for free. Zola has thought of everything when it comes to planning a wedding in style and doing it without the usual stress that comes along with it. I planned my wedding about 10 years ago, and I still remember how difficult it was without a wedding planner. 
Zola is basically like having a virtual wedding planner, and the price is more than worth it. Go to Zola.com slash Murderish today and use promo code SAVE50 to get 50% off your Save the Dates. You can also get free personalized paper sample before you purchase. That's 50% off Save the Dates at Zola.com slash Murderish, promo code SAVE50. Adriana's teacher, Robin Mercer, was called to testify for the defense. On the stand, Mercer said while Adriana did have some behavior problems, she made very good progress toward improving her behavior. Mercer said that Amanda was a very involved parent who often came to visit Adriana in school and have lunch with her. Mercer said Amanda was present at every parent-teacher meeting and awards ceremony. Mercer said that she and Amanda kept in regular contact throughout the school year and that Adriana spoke highly of her mom and her younger brother. The defense called Sergeant Michael Rayleigh to the stand as he'd been on scene the day Adriana died. He had also questioned Amanda and AJ about what happened the day Adriana died. On the stand, Rayleigh told Smith that Amanda was visibly upset and crying when he arrived on scene. He tried to get her to narrow down the amount of time Adriana was in the pool, but all she could say was anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. Rayleigh said he saw the red wagon up against the pool when he arrived, and that he saw footprints in it which were made from dirt. Rayleigh confirmed that phone records indicated that Amanda placed a call to her boyfriend, Alan Carnley, at 2.30 p.m. that day, and that their call lasted 4 minutes and 11 seconds. He said the 911 call came in at 2.38 p.m., a little less than four minutes after Amanda's call with Carnley ended. Defense attorney Smith showed Rayleigh a picture of the red wagon which was taken the day that Adriana died. The wagon had water in it, and Rayleigh confirmed that there was no garden hose near the wagon that day and that it also had not rained that day. Next, Smith showed Rayleigh a picture of the foot tray that was found floating in the pool. The picture, which was taken from close range, showed that the foot tray had grass and bugs in it. Smith seemed to be driving home that these photos, the red wagon with dirt footprints, and the foot tray found with bugs in it, corroborated his theory of what happened the day Adriana died. The defense claimed that Adriana had stood inside of the red wagon to reach the top of the pool. She then used the foot tray to clean bugs out of the pool and accidentally fell in and drowned. Amanda Lewis took the stand in her own defense during trial. During direct exam with Smith, Amanda recounted what happened the day her daughter died, saying that she began performing CPR immediately after pulling Adriana out of the pool. She said that some water came out of Adriana's lungs, but she was still unresponsive. When asked if she was a strict mother, Amanda told Smith that she only tried to make her kids listen to her. Smith asked Amanda when the last time was that she received a call from Adriana's school. Amanda said she received a call from the school when Adriana got into a physical altercation with another girl. After that incident, Amanda said she sent Adriana to a youth psychiatric facility for six days. Amanda told Smith that Adriana had previously threatened her brother with a knife. After that incident, Adriana told Smith that she brought in a therapist, and Adriana's behavior at home and at school had improved. Amanda confirmed that she was trying to teach Adriana how to swim, 
and that her daughter saw AJ learning to swim, and she wanted to do the same. Amanda said that Adriana had learned to paddle, but she still didn't like putting her head underwater. When asked about the kids' toys being taken away, Amanda said she had taken their toys away about a week prior to Adriana's death. She said the kids were not listening when she asked them to pick up their toys numerous times. As punishment, Amanda said she threw away the damaged toys and donated the other toys to a local mission. On cross-exam with Basford, Amanda's statement regarding the toys was a point of contention. Basford pointed out that Amanda told investigators that the toys were locked in a shed and her boyfriend, Alan Carnley, testified that the toys were being stored inside of a closet at his father's house. Smith continued his direct examination with Amanda, bringing up the statements her co-workers made about something Amanda said the day she brought Adriana to work. Smith asked Amanda about the statement she allegedly made, saying she was going to kill Adriana. Amanda clarified her statement, saying that she never said she was going to kill Adriana. She said she could kill her. Amanda was angry that day because Adriana had drawn all over her car. Basford asked Amanda if Adriana was crying the day she came into work with her, as her co-worker had claimed. Amanda said no. Basford then asked Amanda if her co-workers who testified were wrong, and Amanda said yes. During cross-exam, Basford asked Amanda about the statement she allegedly made to a co-worker about not loving her daughter. Amanda told him that she never said she didn't love her daughter. She said she didn't love her like she should. Amanda would later say in an interview that she did have trouble bonding with her daughter and that raising her was a struggle at times, given her behavioral problems. She said during the interview that she loved her daughter very much. Continuing his cross-exam, Basford then asked Amanda questions about the day her daughter died. Basford asked Amanda at the time AJ told her that Adriana was raking bugs out of the pool, was she concerned? Amanda said she was concerned. Then, in a very loud and sarcastic tone, Basford said to Amanda that this is why she ran over to the pool right away to see what Adriana was doing, almost mocking her for saying that she was concerned when she learned that Adriana was near the pool. Amanda said that when AJ told her about Adriana raking bugs out of the pool, she went back into the house and looked out of the sliding glass door to see what her daughter was doing. Basford asked Amanda whether she was on the phone during this time. Amanda responded by saying she wasn't on the phone when she asked AJ where Adriana was, but she was on the phone when she stood in front of the sliding glass door to see what was going on. Basford took that opportunity to point out that instead of checking on her daughter immediately, Amanda made a phone call to Carnley on her way to the sliding glass door. Basford then questioned Amanda about Amber Carnley's testimony, saying that Amanda had threatened to dunk Adriana if she didn't stop crying while she was teaching her to float on her back. Amanda responded by saying that she never threatened to dunk her daughter. She only told her that she might drop her if she didn't relax. Although AJ said on the stand that Amanda threw Adriana into the pool after she got caught spraying something in the house, Amanda said on the stand that they were all having a good day. She said she wasn't upset at the kids for any reason the day Adriana died. 
She said they were planning to go school shopping and the kids had been playing outside before they were to leave. Dr. Edward Willey, a physician and pathologist who had performed over 2,000 autopsies during his career, was called by the defense to provide his expert opinion regarding Adriana's autopsy. Although Dr. Willey had not been present during Adriana's autopsy, he had reviewed Dr. Siebert's report and photos prior to providing his testimony, which he gave during a recorded deposition. During the deposition with defense attorney Smith, Dr. Willey said he agreed with Dr. Siebert's opinion that Adriana had drowned. Dr. Siebert concluded that Adriana's death was a homicide partially due to petechial hemorrhaging, and he didn't believe petechial hemorrhaging could occur due to accidental drowning. Dr. Willey, however, said that studies have shown that petechial hemorrhaging can occur in cases of accidental drownings and that asphyxiation was not a factor in these cases. Regarding the injury on the back of Adriana's head, Dr. Willey said that the bottom of the pool was not a hard enough surface to produce the type of injury Dr. Siebert described in his autopsy report. Dr. Willey further stated that he could not imagine anyone pushing someone's head who was face up all the way down to the bottom of the pool. When Dr. Siebert performed Adriana's autopsy, he did not shave the back of her head and as such, the injury on the back of her head may not have been a bruise, as was indicated on his report. Dr. Willey said that it's possible that what appeared to be a bruise on the back of Adriana's head may have actually been blood that had pooled in that area, given that bodies are often stored on their backs at the morgue. On the topic of bruises found on Adriana's body, Dr. Willey said there is no way to tell when those bruises occurred. He said bruises can be various colors based on several factors, such as how oxygenated the blood is, the pigmentation of the skin, and how deep the bruise is in the tissue. He said the color of a bruise does not tell you how old the bruise is. Dr. Willey said that the bruises found on Adriana's body could have occurred prior to the incident and also after the incident as she was being treated by medical professionals. He said sometimes, people who are less experienced at performing CPR may cause injuries because they get more excited. Amanda had performed CPR on Adriana that day, and based on Dr. Willie's statements, it seems possible that Amanda or medical staff could have caused some of Adriana's injuries while performing CPR. Dr. Siebert's report mentioned that Adriana had a loose tooth that may have been knocked loose due to being struck in the mouth. Dr. Willie indicated, however, that Adriana's loose tooth may have simply been a baby tooth that was about to fall out. Children typically lose baby teeth until around the age of 12. Dr. Willie confirmed that most drowning deaths are accidents, but drowning homicides do happen. Dr. Willie said, however, that he was not compelled to believe that Adriana's death was a homicide based on Dr. Siebert's report or any of the physical findings. When asked by the prosecution, Dr. Willey did say that he would consider Adriana's death as suspicious for homicide. On February 22nd of 2008, three days after the trial began, the prosecution made their closing argument. Basford reminded the jury that everyone, except for Alan Carnley, 
said that Adriana was afraid of water. Although this statement was not entirely accurate, some of the witnesses stated that Adriana was not afraid of water. She was just afraid of putting her head under water. Basford said in his closing argument that at the time of Adriana's death, Amanda was still angry about her daughter drawing all over her car. Basford painted Amanda as a woman who was tired from working an extra-long night shift the evening before the incident. Basford went on to say that Amanda was frustrated the morning of the incident because she wanted to get some sleep, but Adriana kept her awake by slamming cabinets. Basford told the jury that Amanda had tried various punishments and nothing had worked, so she decided to try something different with her daughter. Basford said about Amanda, she took her outside and she went outside and dunked her in the pool. Then what happened? Adriana walked away. She started walking down the road and her mother got in the car, went and got her and brought her back. There was an argument when she brought her back. Adriana didn't want to go, but she kept pulling her into the car, got her back to the house. Then what did she do? She went over there and dunked her again. Now this time, little AJ is outside. AJ saw this. AJ was playing in the front. He saw his mother dunk his sister. It seems Basford took some liberties in the truth in his closing argument. AJ had never claimed to see his mother drowning his sister. He said several times that he heard it happen. On the witness stand, AJ was asked specifically if he had seen his mother drown Adriana, and AJ said he hadn't. Basford continued his closing argument, saying that after dunking her daughter under the water, Amanda then went into the house to cool off. And then she decided to kill her daughter. Basford said, What I am telling you is that she did intend to punish her, to maliciously punish her. That's what she did. In this case, she went too far. Then Basford told the jury that after killing Adriana, Amanda went back into the house and called her boyfriend, Alan Carnley. She then told AJ to go get his sister, making sure that her six-year-old son finds his dead sister. In his closing argument, defense attorney Smith told the jury that first responders only reported seeing one bruise on Adriana. He said that Dr. Willie confirmed that petechial hemorrhaging can occur in accidental drownings and when someone coughs violently or vomits. Smith also pointed out that Dr. Siebert, who performed Adriana's autopsy, never actually shaved the back of her head, and as such, it's possible that the bruise on the back of her head may not have been an injury at all. Smith reminded the jury of Dr. Willie's statement saying that since Adriana would have been placed on her back at the morgue, blood may have pooled and settled in the back of her head causing what may have appeared to be a bruise. Smith told the jury that if they believed Adriana was murdered, then they must believe AJ's statements. But, he reminded them, AJ's statements were inconsistent. Smith said it seemed as if AJ had taken several incidents that happened on different days and times and recalled them all happening in a single moment. Smith also reminded the jury that AJ said his mom left in the car to pick Adriana up after she left the house, but Alan Michael testified 
that he never heard a car start or leave the house that morning. Smith then spoke about the awkward position Amanda would have been in in order to drown her daughter in the way the prosecution said she had. Smith said that Amanda would have had to been standing outside of the pool, as AJ said she was, with her left hand over Adriana's face and her right hand on Adriana's right shoulder, where there was a bruise. Smith told the jury that if this is true, then Amanda's arms would be crossed and somehow she was holding her daughter down in the water this way, according to the prosecution. Smith also pointed out that Amanda is right-handed, yet the prosecution would have you believe that she pushed her daughter's head into the water with her non-dominant hand. In addition, Smith pointed out Adriana was tall enough to stand upright in the pool with her head out of the water. Given this, he asked, why wouldn't Adriana have pulled away from her mom, who was supposedly standing outside of the pool, as she drowned her? Smith ended his closing argument by telling the jury that he had spoken with AJ about what happened that day, and although AJ's statements were inconsistent, AJ told Smith that Adriana was standing on the red wagon when she fell into the pool, and she was trying to get bugs out of the water. After Smith made his closing argument, the prosecution presented a rebuttal to the defense's closing arguments. Since the prosecution has the burden of proving their case beyond a reasonable doubt, they're allowed to present their closing arguments first. In addition, they're allowed to present a rebuttal to the defense's closing argument if they choose. In his rebuttal, Basford basically rehashed much of the evidence he'd already presented. He ended his rebuttal by again saying that Amanda was exhausted from working a long night shift and that she was at her wit's end. She had tried many times to discipline her daughter and nothing had worked. Basford said Amanda went outside and dunked her daughter in the pool and it went too far. After four days of trial, Judge Register gave the jury instructions to follow during their deliberations. Surprisingly, the jury reached their verdict within two hours, which included a lunch break. On February 22nd of 2008, Amanda Lewis was found guilty of first-degree murder and aggravated child abuse. Amanda dropped her head in disbelief and cried after the verdict was read. Amanda's sentencing hearing was held on March 17th. Her attorney, Walter Smith, presented a motion to dismiss the case based on the prosecution's primary witness not being credible, given that AJ's statements were contradictory and inconsistent. Smith would say later during an interview with Ashley Banfield of ABC News that early on in the investigation, Amanda had been given a polygraph test, which she passed though this information wasn't allowed to come in during trial. Smith said during the interview that it didn't seem to matter to police that Amanda had passed the polygraph test. Smith said about the police, they had already concluded she was guilty. He went on to say, I think, in my humble opinion, you can get a six-year-old to agree with just about anything. At Amanda's sentencing, Judge Register denied the defense's motion to dismiss the case based on AJ's testimony. And with that, Judge Register sentenced Amanda Lewis to life in prison without the possibility of parole. 
a sentence that was mandatory based on laws in the state of Florida. Prior to Amanda's conviction, the prosecution had offered her a plea deal that carried a sentence of 10 years if she accepted it. Amanda, however, refused the plea deal, saying, I'm not going to admit to something I didn't do. Now, she was facing the reality of living out the rest of her life behind bars. Two years after she was sentenced to life in prison, Amanda Lewis filed an appeal citing four issues. The court, however, ruled that only one of the issues warranted further discussion. The court ruled that based on the merger doctrine, the prosecution should not have been allowed to use the aggravated child abuse charge as a felony for a felony murder case because only one act, the drowning in the pool, was alleged as the cause of Adriana's death. The merger doctrine states that if a defendant commits one act that also fulfills the definition of two offenses, both offenses cannot be used. One of the offenses, typically the lesser offense, will be dropped and the defendant will only be charged with the greater offense. This is one way that double jeopardy is avoided. Essentially, Amanda's appeal with regard to the aggravated child abuse charge claimed that she was being charged multiple times for the same crime. The appeals court, however, ultimately ruled that holding a child underwater long enough for that child to lose consciousness and then to drown that child cannot be considered a single act. The court ruled that two acts would apply in this case and that the separate convictions for aggravated child abuse and felony murder were appropriate. With that, Amanda's appeal was denied. Today, Amanda Lewis is serving her sentence at the Lowell Correctional Institution in Ocala, Florida. Judge Allen Register retired in 2016, eight years after Amanda's conviction. After his mother was convicted of murder, A.J. Hutto was adopted by a couple who have reported that today, the young boy is well-adjusted. Larry Basford is still an assistant state's attorney in Florida. Amanda's defense attorney, Walter Smith, retired from the public defender's office in 2011. After his retirement, he went into private practice and retired five years later in 2016. Amanda Lewis's boyfriend at the time, Alan Carnley, still resides in Esto, Florida. Numerous TV productions have been based on Adriana Hutto's case. The case was featured in Investigation Discovery's True Crime with Aphrodite Jones, Amanda Lewis, A Tragic Testimony. 2020 covered the case in an episode titled, What A.J. Saw, Mother's Fate Hinges on Seven-Year-Old's Testimony. The case was also featured in ITV, Killer Women with Pierce Morgan, Amanda Lewis, Rhonda Glover. Thanks again for joining me on this episode of Murderish. Head over to the Murderish Facebook discussion group where we can talk about this case. I'm curious to know whether you agree with the verdict. You can also find me on Twitter at MurderishPod or on Instagram at MurderishPodcast. If you like the show, please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening now and tell a friend about Murderish. If you feel like it, you can also leave the show a rating and review in your favorite podcast listening app. 
head over to Murderish.com if you'd like more info about the show or me. On the website, you can also sign up to support the show through Patreon and have some of your dollars donated to the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. There's also a link on the website to buy Murderish t-shirts and other merch. That's Murderish.com. Murderish is mixed and mastered by John Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. Music by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched by Steve Field and written by me. In order to tell true crime stories on this show, information is gathered from various sources including, but not limited to, news articles, newspaper archives, blogs, social media, TV productions, police reports, court records, books, magazine articles, direct interviews, and more. I recognize that oftentimes, someone before me put in a lot of time and effort to gather information that I draw from to help tell these stories. Thank you to those individuals for their hard work. Sources for this episode include Bobeth Yates at whjg.com, Wynn Mock at Jackson County Floridian, Jay Felsberg of the Washington County News, Court Documents, Amanda E. Lewis, Appellant for the State of Florida, Appellee, Ashley Banfield of ABC News, Sophie Evans and Steve Mayall at mirror.co.uk, Caroline Mortimer at independent.co.uk, CourtTV.com, Florida vs. Amanda Lewis, 2008, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and audio from an interview with Ashley Banfield of ABC News found on dailymotion.com. As always, Ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Are you a true crime addict? Do you find yourself talking serial killers and missing persons at parties only to be met with uncomfortable smiles? Well, find your tribe on True Crime Snack Time, a daily podcast that gives you a little true crime snack to chew on. From January 1st to December 31st, you'll find out what happened on this day in true crime. Short, sweet, and chock full of crime. Join me, Allison, on True Crime Snack Time. We're available wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Follow True Crime Snack Time on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Crime Snack Pod. And remember, keep your friends close and your snacks closer. Prepare to enter an immersive world of tragedies, hauntings, legends, and folklore. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast documenting the rich history of the American South. Stretching from the swamps of Louisiana to the shores of the Carolinas, deep into the mountains of Appalachia, and across the battlefields and earliest settlements of Virginia. Guiding you through some of its darkest tales and eerie locations. Join us now on Southern Gothic, the podcast.